Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. This is the very first Sunday of 2012, a brand new year, and I'm thrilled. I'm excited about that. It's going to be a good year, right? It's going to be a great year. going to be a great year. Uh, this is my first opportunity to say welcome to those in the overflow in 2012, also those in Perry, Oklahoma. But uh, the, the big news is from now on, Pastor Eric is preaching full-time and live at Franklin Campus. So I no longer will say hello to Franklin Campus unless I forget. And I could do that. I could forget and say hello to Franklin anyway. But Franklin is always in our prayers and in our hearts. So excited about what God is doing in Franklin and delighted to see Pastor Eric take that step forward. Uh, we love all of you. Thank you for worshiping together with us. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. I'm busting to preach this sermon. I'm so excited. That's usually a bad sign. If I'm real, really excited about a sermon, it usually falls like a dead turkey, boom, right off the front of the pulpit. Uh, but I'm excited about it. Daniel chapter 3, a, a great, great story, a, a great story and a good way to start uh, a new year. I love our church. I love all the people. I have a lot of good memories about Woodburn Baptist Church, but I don't think uh, anything will ever be better to me than that Sunday that Rhodes Hester did the children's sermon with the baby kangaroo. Were, were y'all here for that? Everybody remember that? Uh, oh my goodness, if I could go back in time and relive one moment in my life, it would probably be that one or maybe not, because you remember how terrifying that was? Uh, Rhodes, he looked good coming in. Rhodes came in with a baby, a baby kangaroo, people. I mean, only at Woodburn, a baby kangaroo. It was in a bag. And I knew what was in the bag because Rhodes was pretty excited. He told me, I'm going to have a baby kangaroo at the children's sermon. So he came in uh, with this beautiful animal in, in a big pouch. And then he reached in and he took it out. It was an amazing animal. Do y'all remember that? Baby kangaroo, big tall ears, long nose, big powerful tail and legs. And, and for, for a few seconds, it sat real calmly in Rhodes' arms. And all the children were there in front of Rhodes. And Rhodes just started talking about the Lord and using the kangaroo to, to talk about God and, and the wonders of creation. But then all of a sudden, that kangaroo went crazy. <laughs> y'all remember that? This kangaroo went crazy. It just started kicking Rhodes in the spleen. And so then Rhodes is just wrestling this kangaroo. And it was just, it was the, it was scary, people. It was scary. I just kept thinking that that kangaroo is, is going gonna, is gonna to get loose and kill everybody on the front row. And that would be me. The kangaroo is just crazy. It's just kicking Rhodes. It's like watching those doomsday cage matches. Rhodes is just, but Rhodes never missed a moment with the children. He continued to preach. He just delivered this children's sermon like he wasn't getting beat up by a kangaroo. So finally Rhodes, again, still preaching, still very calm in his voice, but rest of the kangaroo. He put the kangaroo in one of those anaconda chokeholds. <laughs> locked it in a headlock and just kept talking. And I'm sitting right there and I watch that kangaroo reach up and bury its teeth in his arm. Serious now. And blood starts trickling. I can see it. Rhodes, isn't that the truth? It bit right into his arm. Rhodes never said a word. He just kept on. He asked everybody to close their eyes and he prayed. <laughs> Put that crazy kangaroo back in the bag and, 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 it, and it was over. He looked really good coming in. That's what I want to say. It looked really good coming in. And honestly... It's kind of easy to look good going in, and whether it's a new year or a new job or whatever you've got going, it's one thing to look good going in. The real question is, how will you look in the middle of it 
When you're tangled up with trials, when, when trials put you in a, in a kind of chokehold, how will you look then and, and how will you look coming out? Daniel chapter 3 is the most amazing story because it has such important lessons for, for going in, getting through it, and coming out. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's read together. Daniel chapter 3. I'm, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I don't know how not to read the whole chapter. I, I know it's long, but, but, but listen. Listen. One of the things I want you to listen for, you'll notice when they're thrown in the blazing furnace about verse 19, uh, the scripture makes a big deal about describing th their state going in. They're, they're thrown in with their turbans on and all of their clothes and they're bound hand and foot and rolled in like sacks of potatoes. But I want you to pay attention. In the fire... Nothing about them burns. They don't even smell like smoke when they come out, if you've read the story. They don't even smell like smoke. Their clothes aren't burned. Their turbans aren't even off their heads. But there's one thing and one thing only that is destroyed in the fire. I'm not talking about the guards. I'm talking about with the men of God. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's going to be one thing on their person that's burned up. One thing and one thing only. So pay attention for that. That's the good part. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Understand, this is not a fairy tale. You understand, this is not a fairy tale. We're talking about men thrown into a fire because they would not bow down and worship an idol. Please don't think this is a fairy tale. Don't think that this could never happen. Don't think that this hasn't happened. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a, a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon... They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But 
If you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace... The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men. Unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <laughs> stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. I can't even eat a cracker barrel without smelling like smoke. <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Take your seats. So, a mama with a van load of preschoolers. Her oldest child was first grade, all the way down to, to, to newborn baby. There were four kids in this van, all in car seats, all in coats. It was winter, 
and uh, she was out for a day of shopping. She was exhausted, just exhausted. It wasn't the shopping. It was this tribe of kids that she was trying to wrangle in and out of, of every place. She had one more stop. She was going to stop at one of those IGAs and just get a few things, just a, a few things uh, for supper that night. And, and she was just dreading it because it was going to take twice as long to get all those kids out of the vehicle and into their coats, out of their car seats, into their coats, into the store, into the shopping cart. And she just needed a couple of things. It was going to take twice as long to move the kids in and out as it was just to go in there and get milk. Do you understand? So she started praying. She knew this IGA, and she knew that if God would just give her a parking place up front, just a parking place by the window where she could possibly just leave her kids there in the van, and she could run into IGA and pick up the few things that she needed, and, and, and then she could come back out and be on her way. If she could just get a close parking place, it was going to make everything a whole lot easier. So she really prayed, and she really prayed as hard as she could with all of her faith. She prayed for a parking place right up there by the glass. When she pulled into IGA, she could see it from a long distance. She could see from afar that there were no parking places up front. No parking places up front. So she went ahead, still praying. She drove up there, made a circle. And I'm telling you, no parking place ever opened up. She parked by the pumps, got the kids out and walked in. It was a hard, hard ordeal. The thing is, she later told this story to her prayer group at church. And when she told the story, she had tears in her eyes. And her question was, I prayed with all my heart. I prayed and I really believed that God would help me, but God didn't answer my prayer. What's wrong with my faith? Well, let's talk about faith for a moment. Let's talk about a few things that faith is not. And honestly, I know this is hard. It's hard for some of us because we want faith to be something other than what it is. But let me start by making something perfectly clear. Faith is not a guarantee of always getting a close parking place. Do you understand? Faith is not a guarantee like that. Faith is not a guarantee that things are always going to go your way. Faith is not a guarantee that your life is going to be more convenient or, or more easy. Faith is no kind of guarantee like that. Now, for some of you, you think, why would you even have to say that? That's obvious. I'm telling you, it's not that obvious for a lot of us. Some of us honestly believe that, that a life of faith, a life of prayer, a, a life of walking with the Lord is going to mean that our lives are going to be more trouble-free. That somehow God will go before us and always make the path straight and easy for us. And I simply must tell you, faith is not a guarantee of anything like that. It's not a guarantee of anything like that. As a matter of fact, we're reading a story right here of three children, and they are very, very young men. Don't miss that point. These are young men who end up in a fiery furnace because of their faith. Do you understand that? It's because of their faith. It's their faith that leads them into that predicament. And if you read the Bible with any kind of seriousness, you're going to have to recognize that. That faith is really not some sort of shortcut around the problems that everybody else will face. Honestly, sometimes faith is a more difficult road. The life of faith can actually be more difficult. It can lead you right into the belly of a fiery furnace, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So make no mistake, faith is no guarantee that your life just got easier. In many, many cases, it might just make your life a little bit harder. Faith is not a guarantee of things working out your way. Another thing that faith is not, faith is not positive thinking. It's not driving around the IGA believing that, that if you just continue to think parking place, parking place, that if you believe enough, if you can somehow get enough faith, that then therefore you can manipulate situations. Faith is not the, the power of positive thinking. It's nothing like that. Faith is not even faith in faith, if you can understand what I'm saying. Because a lot of people, they put their faith in just faith. I have faith, and if I have enough faith, therefore things will, will go my way. And that's not what faith is either. Faith is not positive thinking. It's not somehow, if you, can, if you can get enough belief, then therefore you can make miracles happen. That's not what faith is. Nowhere in Scripture is there ever this suggestion that faith is just some sort of magical thinking. That if you can have enough of it, things will go your way. That's that's just not what faith is. Not at all. But many of us fall into the myth of thinking that faith is something like that. That, that faith is, is some sort of positive thinking. That, that if I can just focus on the outcome that I prefer, and, and if I can name that, and if I can claim that in the name of Jesus, and if I just continue to keep very strong faith, then things will turn out exactly as I'm hoping. My friends, I know how hard it is for some of you to hear this. I, I know. I know how hard it is. But I have to tell you that that's not what faith is. It is not any kind of guarantee of the outcome that you prefer. I have to tell you this. Because there's so many people in the world who've always believed that. They have believed that, that faith is a matter of picturing the outcome that you want and you just fix on that. You focus on the outcome that you, that you prefer. The problem with that kind of thinking is the problem with that sort of magical view of faith is that inevitably things aren't going to work out the way you hoped. It's just never, ever going to always go your way. And in that moment, you're going to be very, very disappointed. As a pastor, I run into people all the time who have completely given up on faith and given up on God, very disappointed with God, and it always boils down to a very simple event in their lives when God did not meet their expectations. God did not meet their expectations. They had been trained to think that if they, if they somehow have enough faith, then therefore their expectations will always be fulfilled. That's not faith. That's not faith, and it's not how the life of faith works. Just ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, honestly, these guys look especially good going in. Pay attention to verse 16 with me. Verse 16. In some ways, anybody can look good going in to whatever we're talking about. Whatever we're talking about, it's pretty easy to look good going in. I'm looking at a crowd of people in this room who are all going into a new year, and honestly, you look good going in. The real question is going to be how you look in the middle, 
and how you look coming out. You understand? Anybody can look good going in. But these three boys look especially good going in. And I want you to stop and pay attention to the way they go into the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, say the words, is able to save us. Now that's how faith talks. I love that. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I, I, I love that. That's how faith sounds. Our God is able to save us, your majesty. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. We don't even have to answer to you. We answer to a higher power who is able to save us from you. We're not afraid of you. We are not afraid of your furnace. The God whom we serve is able. Do you understand? He's able. There is absolutely no doubt, no equivocation, no bargaining whatsoever with what God can do. They know what God can do. And they never doubt what God can do. That's faith, my friend. Many of us going into our trials, going into our lives, honestly, we don't stop and think very long or very hard about what God can do. That's why before every blazing furnace in front of us, we tremble with fear. That's why going into new situations or walking into the unknown, we're always so very lacking in confidence and faith. We really don't understand the way that faith fixes itself on God. Faith focuses on God. And this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They absolutely know what God can do and have no doubts about God's power. He is able to save us. I love that. I love that. It's what they say next that, that just makes my head want to explode. What do they say next? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but, verse 18, what do they say next? They were doing so well. Oh, they were, I mean, I, I was preaching up a storm right there. Wasn't, wasn't that awesome? <laughs> this next part won't preach. It just won't preach. What do they say next? Verse 18, but, but, you just said our God is able to save us. There is no but. Apparently there is. What do they say? But, Even if he doesn't. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't? Does faith talk like that? Is there ever any place, any time, any situation where faith sounds like that? I mean, if these three guys showed up around here, are we going to put them in charge of our next church plant? These three guys with these famous last words, even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. I just can hardly read this passage. Because several months ago, I saw a video of, of real Christians set on fire for their faith. It was on the internet. I would never show it in church. It was the most 
horrible thing I've ever seen. God didn't save them from the fire. There's men and women. They were on the side of the road. They were kneeling. They didn't scream. They didn't roll. They didn't move. They just burned. never seen anything like it. They just burned. We don't doubt what God can do. We just don't always know what he will do. I, I, I guess you were hoping for something stronger than that. But that's just faith. Our God is able to save us, King Nebuchadnezzar. Make no mistake. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, let it be clear to you, your majesty, that we will never, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. <laughs> you understand how faith thinks and how faith talks? Faith doesn't ever doubt what God can do, but it doesn't presume to know what God will do. Understand? We don't really know what God will do. We don't doubt God, but we don't claim to know his mind or, or, or claim to know what he's going to do. His ways are beyond us. But there's one thing I can promise. There's one thing that I can commit to. And in faith, this is the commitment that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make. Understand, King, let one thing be made perfectly clear to you. Even if our God doesn't deliver us from this furnace, we will never, we will never bow down and serve any other God, and especially your pretty little statue. It's never going to happen. Let it be clear to you. Whatever our God does, we will never ever take his glory and give it to another. We will never, ever bow down and serve anything other than our God. Do you understand how faith works? Do you see that kind of commitment? The thing is, I can't promise you what God's going to do, but I, I very well can tell you what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And I will continue to keep faith in my God no matter how things turn out. Do you, you understand? Their faith is not situated in the outcome. Their faith is not dependent one way or the other on whether God delivers them or whether God doesn't. They are totally prepared for either one of those eventualities. Do you understand that? Their faith is in no way fastened upon their own idea of how things should go. Now, honestly, they've got an opinion on how they wish things would go. They want it to go about like it goes. That's what they're hoping for. But understand, their faith is not threatened even if they burn. Even if things don't work out the way they hoped, even if their preferred outcome does not come into pass, you understand, they still can say, there are a few things you can count on. We will never, we will never give God's glory to anything other than our God. You see, that's faith. That's genuine faith. That's the real thing right there. 
Faith locks in on God. And faith is jealous for God's glory. Faith is, is, is jealous for the majesty and glory that belongs to God. It's never going to give it anywhere else. Faith locks in upon God. So that means in the midst of your own trial, do you understand? Do you really understand how this sounds? And do you really understand how this works in your life? I'm saying that no matter how things turn out for you, you still must lock your faith upon God, not upon your outcome, not on how things turn out, but on the God who has the power to do whatever he chooses to do. And your faith tells you that whatever he does ultimately is good. And whatever he does ultimately is for his own glory. And honestly, his glory is the only thing that matters. His glory is the only thing that matters. My life doesn't matter. If I fall over dead in the middle of this sermon right here, if I were to fall over dead, you understand? I would still pray that for the rest of, the rest of your days, whenever you talk about Tim Harris, somehow talking about me would make you have to talk about God and his glory. My life is nothing. God's glory is everything. His glory is everything. I'm not going to give his glory to something else. I'm not going to trade God's glory for my own preference for how things should turn out. Even if I die in this thing, do you understand? If this trial destroys me, if I die in the flames, let one thing be made perfectly clear. I died for his glory. Let it be made clear, your majesty. We never bowed. Man, I want to die like that, don't you? I want to die like that. I never bowed. I never bowed to anything other than Christ. Okay, I gave you a, 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 reading, uh, a reading game there to play with me. There is in the furnace some incredible heat. The heat is emphasized because we know that the, the guards who tie them up and roll them into the fire, what happens to those guards? Yeah, just to get close enough to, to roll these men into the fire, it, it kills the guards. This fire is incredibly hot, incredibly hot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace fully clothed, fully clothed. They have turbans on their heads, the scripture says, all of their garments, and they are bound, hands and feet, rolled in like sacks of potatoes. When they come out, when they come out of the fire, what does the scripture say? Their clothes are not singed. Shadrach was wearing one of those Nike polyester running suits. It didn't even burn. Nothing was singed about them. Nothing. Their turbans didn't even fall off their heads, people. Nothing was touched about their bodies. Nothing was touched about their clothing. Nothing burned. They didn't even smell like smoke. They still smelled like Axe body spray, people, when they came out. But there was one thing that was destroyed in that fire. What was it? The ropes. The ropes that, that bound them. It's a detail you just can't miss. Verse 23 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were securely tied. And then down in verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men. Now who's the fourth man? 
It's hard to know. It's honestly hard to know because Nebuchadnezzar is talking and he doesn't know. Some people say this could be an Old Testament theophany, an Old Testament example of Christ, the second person of the Trinity who comes and is with these men in the fire. I like that. Later in the scripture, it sounds like it's a messenger, like it's an angel of God. We just don't know. The point is they're not alone. They're not alone in the furnace. God himself sends Christ or God himself steps in or sends this angel. But, but there are four men. Three men go in, four men in the furnace. And what are they doing? They are unbound and walking around. They're walking around in the fire. Unbound. I love the part where later Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, boys, come on out. And they, they step out. They, they step out of the fire. I love this detail about the ropes being burned. I, I don't know exactly what to make of it, but, but I know it means something. I'm thinking that it's at least a picture of what happens to us sometimes when, when in our faith we have to go through the fire. And you just will. You, you will. I, I don't know what this year is going to be like for you. I don't know what it's going to be like for our church. But, but I know that sometimes we'll have to go through the fire. I know that God is able to deliver us always. His power is, is immense and amazing. I never doubt what God will do, but, but I don't ever know what God will do. I, I just continue to put my faith in him. But I know that sometimes when I go through the fire, there's this uh, amazing sense in which I'm never alone in it. Have you experienced that? And I know that sometimes when I'm in that fire with the Lord, that, that getting through it is, is excruciating. But something amazing happens inside that, in the middle of it, in, in the worst place, the worst days of your life, while you wait and, and you burn and you wonder if there will ever be an end to it, something amazing happens. The, the, the things that bind you begin to fall away. The, the, the ropes, the, the chains, the, the things that have kept you back, the things that have kept you bound, something about the fire, something about being in the fire with the Lord, those things have a tendency to, to fall away. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire, they are freer. They are more free than when they went in. And I'm telling you, that's the kind of freedom that we all need. That's the kind of freedom that faith brings, but only faith that's tested in the fire. You're going to go through it, but, but that's the point. You'll come through and you'll come out, and when you come out, you'll be freer than when you went in. You, you'll be freer. But because listen to me. There is nothing more liberating. There is no person more free than the person who absolutely is not bound by their circumstances, not bound by their fears, not bound by a fear of the fire or a fear of the furnace. If you can have the kind of faith that focuses on God and doesn't focus on the outcome, if you can be that person who is passionate for the glory of Christ, no matter what your situation is, that is ultimate freedom. That is ultimate freedom. 
No matter how things turn out, no matter what the outcome, even if God doesn't give me my miracle, if I die in this fire, I'm still free. My faith is free. My faith isn't dependent on my situation. I don't have to have the best day ever to continue to have joy in my heart. I don't have to have a date to the winter formal to know that I am loved and that I am cherished in all eternity. I don't have to have a job this year. I don't have to have a bank account full of money. I don't have to have kids who are honor students at Rich Pond Elementary. No matter how things turn out, my faith is not locked in on my situation. It's not dependent on how things turn out. My faith is locked in on the God who is able. Able to deliver me in it, through it, despite all of it. A God who uses everything for his glory and for my freedom. It's about his glory. Notice the end of the story. King Nebuchadnezzar, when scholars read this chapter, they're not really sure about this statue. We're not sure what he made a statue of, but a lot of people think he made a statue of himself. The big old giant Nebuchadnezzar, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It's glorious, solid gold. But notice how he's talking at the end. Verse 28, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking here. He says, Praise God. (laughs) Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Do you understand that at the end of the story, even King Nebuchadnezzar has to give glory to God? At the end of the story, even Nebuchadnezzar has to worship God. It's the only thing in life that matters. It's the only thing in life that matters, that that somehow my life and your life points other people to God. There's no glory about me. There's no glory in me. I don't want people talking about me. God, help me. I, I don't want anything to do with God's glory, that that belongs to him. I want everything in my life to to point to him and his glory. At the end of this story and even to this very moment, you, you can't talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can't tell their story without giving glory to God. You can't tell their story without telling God's story. Do you understand? And that's how your life's supposed to be. That's how my life's supposed to be. I'm not going to live forever, and there's no glory about me. But I pray that when I'm gone, that people can't tell the story of Tim Harris without somehow telling the story of God and giving glory to God. What else would I live for? What else would you want? Do you understand what faith is? Faith is that tremendous capacity to to lock your heart upon God, just to put everything of yourself in his hands, 
trust in him, remembering him, knowing that no matter what this life puts you through, you'll never be alone in it. And whatever happens to you, if God receives glory in it, if he's glorified in it, that makes it worth it all. I don't know what this year has in store for you. Honestly, you look good going in. The real question is going to be, what are you going to look like when you're in the middle of it? What are you going to look like when you're coming out of it? I'm here to tell you, you can have faith even if you have to go through the fire. Pray with me. A lot of things we don't know, God. We, we don't know what this year holds. We don't know what this day will hold. We just want to know that you are holding us. That you are holding us as we step into it. That you will hold us all the way through it. And that when we come out on the other side, we will still be in your hands. It is all that we need to know, Lord God that our lives are in your hands. God, help us to have the kind of faith that is not dependent upon everything going our way. Help us to have the kind of faith, Lord, that can sometimes continue to believe and worship even in the flames of fire. Help us, Lord, to have the kind of faith that continues to believe in what you can do even when we don't know what you will do. God, there are people in this house today, people in the sound of my voice, people who will hear this sermon who are very disappointed with you, Lord. Their life has not met their expectations, and they're holding you accountable for that, God. Things have not gone the way they expected. Their prayers were not answered in the way that they had hoped. And now, Lord God, they've lost faith, and they've lost confidence, and they've lost you. I don't know how, Lord, that you will heal these disappointments. I don't know how, Lord God, you can redeem what's been broken and lost. I don't know how, Lord God, you will begin to unbind these people so bound up by disappointment. I don't know how you'll do it, Lord, but I know you can. I know you can, and I know that you want to. So God, I pray today for that mama. I I pray today for that man. I pray, Lord, for that teenager who's already so bitter at you, so disappointed, so frustrated, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that today you would just begin to burn away that disappointment, that frustration, that fear that continues to keep their faith bound. Oh, Lord, set them free to believe in you again, to trust you no matter what. God, we just don't know. We can't say what you will do. But God, we will promise never, ever to try to trade your glory, Lord, for for another. We'll never, Lord, try to take that glory for ourselves, Lord. We will never bow to anything else, Lord, other than you. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. Faith that can stand on all of the good days. And faith that will stand even through fire. Lord, there's some in this house today who are 
in the middle of the fiery furnace. I pray, Lord God, that today they will look around and see that though they are in the flames, they are not alone. I pray, Lord, that very, very quickly you will bring them out. Oh, Lord, bring them out. Set them free. Help our faith to be strong. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.